or on your smart devices, or if it's like mine, I call my phone dumber more often than I call it smart. Um, but however you want to read the scripture this morning, Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be reading from, verses 1 through 13. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, Isaiah speaking, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim with six wings each. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another these words, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe unto me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. So he said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you this morning for the word. I thank you, Father, how you desire to reach into our lives and to bring freshness, to bring newness, to bring change. And I ask, Lord, today that as we listen to this story of Isaiah, as we think of some of the other um, biblical experience of men and women who encountered God in a new way, Lord, that you would just create a, a growing desire in us to encounter you, to know you in a richer way than ever before, to follow you in a more committed way than we've ever followed you before, to love you, Lord, like we've never loved you before. And Lord, sometimes that desire is, is, is our life. That's what we yearn for. That's what we long for. That's what we dream about. That's what we wish for and work towards and move towards. Sometimes, Lord, we just feel lost. We know that should be our desire, and we know that should be our need, and we know that's what we're created for, but we just feel trapped. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would open the eyes of our hearts to the power of God in us, to the moving of the Holy Spirit upon us, and Lord, we just ask that you would help us, Lord, to have ears to listen and to follow you wherever you would lead us. And so, Lord, we ask for your help this morning as we share your words together. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Don't you love this time of year? 
I mean, I just can't. I love going for walks. Every time I go for a walk, I see a new flower has sprung up. Um, you know, the tulips are coming up, and I'm not a good flower person, so uh, I see roses, and I know that there are roses. But besides the tulips and the roses, you're going to have to help me with the rest. But everywhere I go, I see life springing up. The birds are getting up earlier, which means we get up earlier, and that's a good thing to get about our day. And it just seems that this time of year invites newness, invites life, invites invigorating passions in our lives, and there feels like there's a freshness of life when spring comes. And I read this story in Isaiah this week, and it felt like that for me. A lot of other things have been happening in my life, and it just felt this week like a newness had come. A freshness had come upon my life, and I'm going to share one of the stories to close the service that kind of awakened me to a need for that kind of newness. And it's my prayer this morning that the Holy Spirit would start with that, the realization in our life that we need a fresh encounter with God. Does your marriage, those of you who are married, uh, does it flourish when things stay the same they've always been? Those of you who had friendships, uh, if you want your friendship to grow and rich and develop, does it do so by things always being the same thing they've always been? There has to be progress. There has to be newness. There has to be movement towards each other. And that's what I'm, is on my heart as I share this morning around this idea of a fresh encounter with God. Uh, be, and, you know, so I put on Facebook this week, kind of promoted it for the community, come to First Friends Church and hear how to have a new encounter with God, fresh encounter with God. And and I'll get to the caveats of that in a minute, but it was exciting to think that we as the church can be the ones to share with the world how to encounter the Holy One, amen? How to know God and to relate to Him and have His grace and mercy in our life. And so before I get to the how-tos, which aren't prescriptive but descriptive about the ways we encounter God, there are four things that I want to share out of this passage in Isaiah that Isaiah went through, that he worked through, that each of us are going to work through if we're going to have a real, lasting, fresh, powerful, meaningful, long-lasting encounter with God. Four things, and there are others, that Isaiah went through in this passage that you and I need to do in our own life when we encounter God. So this is almost an anticipation of the moments when we feel God drawing near to us, and the heavens, in their own special way, reveal themselves to us, These are some of the things that you and I can work at and expect and long for and be willing to work through as we go through these things together with the help of the Lord. You'll see it on the screen. The first thing that we see in Isaiah's experience of encountering God in this amazing way that centuries later we're still reading about was a growing spiritual awareness. Now, there was a lot of environmental factors that caused him to be aware of what was something more than the normal uh, but there was this phrase in this passage, uh, one of them, and I put it in bold on my notes, he saw the Lord. The first thing he wrote about, besides stating basically the time that he wrote this was, the very next thing out of his mouth was, uh, his mouth was, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. And there has to be a growing awareness in our lives about the presence of the Holy Spirit around us, in us, working through us. Uh, as I, as I walk through Vancouver and go different places, um, you know, kind of October, late October through late February, there's just this brown, gray, 
gloom that hangs over the sky, it hangs over the foliage, it hangs over everything, and there just doesn't seem to be much awareness of anything living in the Northwest. That was one of the things that I was reminded of when we moved back here three years ago, and the first winter came as I was ready for the rain. I love the rain, um, and I, I uh, look forward to the rains coming. I probably shouldn't say that here, but I can't wait for it to rain again. That's just, that's messed up, isn't it? Um, but it's not the greatness I look forward to. I just enjoy the sound of the rain. But it just seems like in many places there's, there's just this feeling of the clouds hanging over us. And I don't know what was happening in Isaiah's life before that moment, but when he was transported into the presence of God, he knew it. He was aware that something was happening. He was aware that God was speaking to him. And there has to be in our lives a growing spiritual awareness of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. Now, sometimes it can be like Isaiah. There is no doubt that when God has come in that moment, something special is happening. And the heavens, in their own special way, it may be a song or a prayer or a conversation or you're at the ocean and the sun comes or in the mountains by a stream. Uh, however God speaks to you, it can happen in a moment. And there's immediate awareness that something special is going on, that God's presence is there. A lot of us have had experiences like that, and others have had the, the kind of the slow burn. This growing need in our life for more of God, this growing need for more than who we are or, or the way we're living right now or the way things have been going, a realization that we need something new and fresh in our life. I think God puts that desire there, doesn't he? He gives that to us. That's called grace. And he woos us to himself and he draws us to a place where we need him more and more. And so there's this slow progression as we feel God speak and we open up the scriptures and we cry out to God and ask him what else we need of him, that there's a growing realization that God is near. There's a growing spiritual awareness. It can happen like a bolt of lightning, but more often than not, it is just the wisdom that God gives us to realize that we have a need, and our need is more of him. So the second thing we see in this passage in Isaiah is, is that there's a conversation with God. There's a conversation with God. Now, there's a part of this story that, that you, as, a, as an interpreter, kind of go out on a limb about, but, but the Godhead, in my opinion, is saying to, they're having a conversation with each other. As Isaiah comes and it gets touched by, by this hot burning coal, they say to each other, who are we going to send? Now, it doesn't really say exactly who God is talking to, but Isaiah is there within hearing distance. And, and so, in my opinion, the Trinity is around the dinner table or the throne room in this case, um, asking who is going to go. And Isaiah says, send me, and we'll get to that part of the experience of God in a minute. But the fact of the matter is that in this passage, Isaiah actually talks with God. What an honor that is for any one of us to have the God of heaven speak to us and that we get to be able to speak back with him and have a dialogue and have a conversation. And uh, one of the scariest things for me in ministry is when you go and talk to someone about Christianity or you go to talk to them about faith and they'll say something like, I believe in God or I have faith. 
or I know that there's a God somewhere and, and I'm okay with that or however they want to explain it. And so my next question is, have you ever met him? Have you ever had a conversation with him? Have you got to know him and are you getting to know him more today than you did last week and last year and when you first met? And there's this realization that when we want freshness and newness in our life, that there has to be a dialogue, a give and take, a back and forth. And so many times we want to pull the fire alarm. We want to push the emergency button and have the presence of God come in a way that fixes all of our problems and then we feel great about everything. Everything is fresh and new and perfect and wonderful. And we've all prayed that kind of prayer over and over and over again. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, by his grace and God's omniscience, answers that prayer just like that. But you and I have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and that conversation is still ongoing between our heart and God's. And the fact is that there is a continuation of this conversation beyond just fixing the problem or helping us through the moment, but there is a continual dialogue that goes on. And you see that in this passage. Isaiah sees God and he gets freaked out. He sees God and gets freaked out and he's honest about how he feels. I don't think I'm gonna make it. I'm done in and we'll get to more of that in a minute. And God says, here, here, I got it. Let's fix the sin problem and then you'll be all right. So that gets to number three on our list. There has to be an authentic personal honesty. Authentic honesty in the same sentence may be one of the hardest things for us to contemplate, to get to, to live in our own life, in our own journey. We live in a Christian world of walls and fences and barriers to ourselves, to the Holy Spirit, to our friends, to our fellow church members, to those who are closest and those who are far away. We keep these compartments hidden from so many. But what happens when we have a fresh encounter with God is that all gets wiped away. What happens in Isaiah, he's in the throne room. It says that God's robe fills the temple. You think Tangled had problems with her hair? God's robe was everywhere. His presence filled the room, and then it says the whole thing was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, whoa. What's going on here? One of the translations you could use for what he says is, I'm at the end of my rope. There's no way of escape. (laughs) He was in the presence of a holy God, and he was very aware that his sin would never allow him to remain. There was this brutal realization that Isaiah was this sinful, broken man before a holy God, and something had to be done about the problem of sin. His life. He could have said, I've been a good boy. I'm trying to be a better person. I'm better than I was last week or last month or last year. You know, the person down the pew from me or across the aisle or back didn't even come to church today. You know, those people really have problems. Uh, is, does it worse than me? Look at me compared to them and the scales and the weights, the way we try to do things uh, just further 
keeps us from knowing God's presence in our own life and all the excuses and justifications that we can make with each other, with God, don't fool him. But there's a real fresh encounter with God. There's this this brutal honesty that I'm broken. I have issues. There's things in my heart that don't need to be there anymore. There's areas in my life that God wants to get out and pull away and purge from my existence. And may the Holy Spirit help us to cry out like Isaiah, just in brutal honesty, I am one of the sinners. I am one of those with unclean lips, and I don't think I'm going to make it any further. A sense of the holiness of God in that moment when he speaks to us. We see him for all that he is and his power and his glory, and then he helps us to see who we are in our brokenness and our sinfulness. Not to cast us away. God's desire is like for Isaiah, but to bring cleansing into our heart and into our life. I've never heard of a service of hot coals where everyone comes and sticks out their tongue and we cleanse each other. You know, we do foot washing, but we don't do hot coal cleansing. I haven't come across one of those services yet. I don't think that the church would grow very fast if that was done. But there's something about the story that calls to me. When God sees us in our need, in our moments of desperation, in our moments of brokenness or emptiness or sinfulness. He doesn't throw us out of heaven. He doesn't cast us out. He provides what we need to be pure, to stand in right standing with him if we're willing to be honest about the things in our life. It wasn't like Isaiah had to get up in heaven and say, hey, everyone, just so you know, I'm a sinner. Hey, God, by the way, I know I may have fooled you, but you know, there are some areas of my life that aren't right. God already knew that, didn't he? There was no fooling God. There was no trickery going on here. There was this authentic honesty that said, I have a need, and God, you're the only one who can help me. And God helped him. For a fresh, lasting encounter with God, there needs to be a place where we are brutally honest with ourselves and with God. This is who I am. God, make me into the person that you want me to be. Fourth in this section of what Isaiah kind of processed as he was in this encounter with God was a renewed sense of purpose. So all this happens. He, he is shocked by what he sees. He is moved by the power of God. He is touched by the presence of God, and then he is sent by the voice of God, the Trinity looks around, and, and I don't know all that had been happening in their conversation before this, but they needed a guy. God needed a guy. You know that he still needs a guy or a girl today to sin. And in that fresh encounter with God, Isaiah was not simply there to be moved or to be touched or to be cleansed, but he was also there to be sent. Everyone say Amen. We are here to, be, to hear God and to be moved by him and to be touched by him so that we can be sent by him as we follow him through 
this journey of life. I can remember the night I was called to preach, like it was yesterday. We sang, people need the Lord, uh, before the service. Uh, we talked about how uh, in the message, God wants all of us to surrender our lives completely to him. And this is the kind of sermon that made you feel like if you didn't do what the preacher said, you're going to hell now. <laughs> kind of a message. Uh, and it's what I needed. Because for months I had been battling this in my mind, Lord, you got the wrong guy. I mean, you, you know, I'm afraid of people. You know, I, you, most of you know this story, maybe just for you visitors here this morning. When we, in high school English speech, for a week, I skipped it, and I went to pizza every day at lunch hour. I skipped it. I got a zero. I didn't care. There's no way I was going to have to talk in front of anyone. But by the end of that sermon that night, I knew that if I was going to get up out of that place and follow God, I better hit the altar first. Because God had somewhere he wanted me to go. Sometimes the temptation is, you know, kind of like the fast food chains tell you to get it your way and get it now and then go on your way with the rest of your life. God says, come and receive me so that I can go out and send you to the world around you. So this is this trying need to have a man to be sent out into the darkness of the world and, and I, I wish that we could have a recording of how Isaiah responded. I don't know if, if, you know, he's kind of in the corner of the temple room and he's like, by the way, hi over here, you can send me. Or at this point, he's so emboldened by what he's saying, hey, Lord, here I am. You have to send me. There's no other choice. I'm not leaving here until you send me. I don't know how in the scheme of his emotions, how it all played out, but there was a desire placed in Isaiah to be used by God in a way that he never had before. So when we long for and yearn for a fresh encounter with God, I think we intrinsically know that, that it is because we need him. It is because we need his touch. We need his cleansing. We need his power. But we also are needed by him to go out into the world around us. And so it's not just about what we receive, but the power that God gives. Think of the disciples in the upper room, all the needs that they have for forgiveness and cleansing and, and infilling. And what did God do? He sent them out and they changed the world after these things had happened in their own life. So that's what happens. I want to share it that way. That's what happens in us in some order and sense when we have a fresh encounter with God. So I just want to... Uh, Take a couple of moments and say, answer that question of how. And like I said earlier, started to say earlier, when I put that thing on Facebook, I, I thought it sounded cool at first. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, so people in our community are going to say, oh, we can go to that church and do three things and get God. We can go through the steps and this is what we're going to get in return. And so I thought, oh, that maybe could have been put out there a little bit differently, but these are principles of Christian living, principles of how we live our life in the moment that we're in. Rebecca talked about how we're all on a journey in the one song that we sang together. And we all are on a journey, and we're in very different places. Some of us are, are we feel like we're on a journey where we're lost. 
and we don't know where we're at. We don't know where we're going. Uh, My prayer is for you, if that's where you're at, is that you feel this pull inside from God that is to somewhere different than you know right now. It may be this morning that we are feeling pulled towards the glories of heaven and the power of God, and we're going to follow it with all that we are. It may be this morning that we just don't feel anything. May the Holy Spirit awaken us to have a fresh encounter with him today. There's just a couple ideas I want to share about how we can have a fresh encounter. They're, they're simple, they're basic, um, and there's a whole lot more of them. But one of the things that I want to share this morning and kind of the whole theme of spring is to get out and smell the roses. Get out of your box, get out of your place and, and see what is happening around you. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. When was the last time that you were, I know it's been eight months since the sun has shone at night, but when was the last time that you went outside and looked at the stars? I might encourage you, if you're able to drive, to get out of town, get away from the lights and go up in the mountains where you get a little bit more better view of what God is doing and what God has done. And, and view the glory of God. See the beauty that God has placed all around us. And, and that's the temptation when we feel like there's darkness everywhere and we feel like we are missing this desire for God as we're convinced, like many of us are, for six, eight months out of the year, that gray is everywhere. And we forget even to look up into the night sky. But we go around this busy time of spring with life literally exploding all around us and we miss it because we're too busy, or we're too discouraged, or we're too lost in our own place, and we miss what God is doing all around us. Every flower is a demonstration of God's creative genius. And just sometimes, like in the winter, we get tricked into thinking that there'll never be a spring. It's never going to end. Sometimes the soul gets tricked into those dark places where we believe that there's never light. But the truth of the matter is there's light all around us. But we've got to be able to smell the roses or the tulips and the 10,000 other flowers that I haven't learned the names of yet. Carnations, there's another one. See, we're getting somewhere. Smell, look, go out and see the beauty that get all around you and let the Lord use that to touch your heart. This is a harder one for some of us, but in the middle of the storm... God invites us to step out into it. I was thinking of the story of the disciples in the New Testament, and remember they're out there on the middle of the sea, and they're afraid, and they're scared, and they're tired, and they think they're going to die, and then they see a ghost. Remember, or they think it's a ghost, and then finally one of them, oh, I guess that's Jesus. Sorry, Lord, thought you were a ghost. Forgive me for that one. Um, You know, and we've heard Peter preached all kinds of ways, but I was thinking um, even this morning that, these disciples thought it was over, man. Everything they'd been through with Jesus up until that point, they weren't going to make it to shore. The storm was going was to take them. It was going to be their last moments on earth. There was no way out. And what did God call Peter to do? At least the way I process it, he called Peter to walk out onto the waves of the storm. No wonder he was the only one who had the courage to do it. How many times is our goal is to paddle as far away from that storm as we can get? Whatever it is that is coming upon us, 
physical or financial or social or relational, our thought is to run and to hide and to keep away from the hurt. And God says to Peter, come to me. But first, Peter had to see Jesus for who he was. And he needed him in his life, and so God calls to him, and he goes. So much of the time we want to row away from the storm and pray for God to take the storm away. When the Lord is calling us as men and women of courage to step out into the storm, step into the darkness, into the hurt, into the loss, into the grief, into the unknown, into the struggle, and realize that it is in those places that many of us God like we've never found him any other way. So much of the time we want the clouds to part and the sun to come down and the rain to come away, the rainbow to come out and then the angels sing to experience the presence of God. But Jesus says, Peter, come out onto the ocean. Come out onto the waves. Come out into the storm and find me. Another way that we can have a fresh encounter with the Lord is to give ourselves away. I've had a lot of Christians in my life who have tried to smell the roses and they've tried to step out into the storm, but it, it, it just ends up being about them, about what they need and about, that, about what they want. And, and it's like they've got to Isaiah's point of hearing this need from heaven of a messenger and, oh, that's the pastor's job, or that's somebody else's job. And, and one of the ways that we can find this presence of God in our life is to simply give ourselves away. Over the years as a pastor, I've seen it time and time again. Uh, people who love the Lord, who are doing well in their life, and, and, and there's something missing. There's just a, a part of the puzzle that hasn't been put in yet. There's, there's a piece of the pie that hasn't been eaten yet. Or how, Oh, boy, I got distracted there for a minute. Okay, message, sermon. <clears throat> there's just a part of them that's missing. They haven't found a place to plug into. They haven't found a way to give of themselves and all the gifts that God has given them. Even if they believe they have none, God has given them to them anyways, And he invites us to be used by him by giving ourselves away. Our last church was a delight, and I've seen it in each of our churches. Either someone who's new to the church or has been away from the church for a while or maybe been in the church for years and never found a place of service and God awakened their eyes or maybe the pastor just kind of um, drug them along or however it has to happen. The Lord can do it all number of ways into ministry and they see someone in need, and they're able to be there in that moment, and it's like the lights come on. The joy of serving, the joy of getting out of our troubles and and our clouds into the life of someone else, and being a blessing and being used by God to touch them. Our last church, we had a food pantry and and, um, had a small number of servers at first, and Rebecca kind of brought that into existence, and the kids were her main helpers. And, and uh, we had one of the younger guys in the church, about my age, so really young, good-looking. Like, Anyways. Been in the church for a long time, really nice guy, and, and he's like, you know, I should do something. 
I really should help out. And so he came to one of these events, um, and we didn't, I don't know if it was weather or just, you know, one of those flukes where hardly anyone showed up. And so decided, you know what, if they're not going to come to us, we're going to go to them. We took groceries door to door. And he talked about that for weeks and weeks after the blessing it was to see the look on those people's faces, just of shock that someone would, anyone would come and give something for free and not ask for anything in return. And it's like, man, when are we going to do that again? As a pastor, that's one of the most exciting things you can hear someone say in the church is, that was so much fun to minister. When can we do it again? Don't get the, too many of those calls, even in the church, of when's the next opportunity? But I think that's what the Holy Spirit does when we encounter him. When we give ourselves away, he touches us in a way that he might not in any other place. Well, I mentioned earlier in the service, I'm going to close with this story, hopefully I can get through it fairly quickly, that the Lord has just been doing this in me. You know, they say never preach a sermon unless it's been through you. And I really feel like in many ways God has given me a fresh encounter with him this past week. And, and the, one of the main tools that God used to do this is um, through a book, The Journey of Desire by John Eldridge. Um, I would recommend it highly if um, you love to read or even if you don't. It just has touched my life in so many ways. There's a, a story that goes through the book, not um, usually when it's, when it's there, it's at the beginning of the chapter. And you kind of follow the story of the sea lion throughout the book. I'm not going to read the whole book with you, so thank, you, thank me for that. But we are going to go through the story of the sea lion together. And it was my experience that as I read this story, that was me. And maybe it might be some of you as we close with this story this morning. Once upon a time, there lived a sea lion who had lost the sea. He lived in the country known as a barren land, high in a plateau, far from any coast. It was a place so dry and dusty, it could only be called a desert. The kind of coarse grass grew deep in patches here and there, a few trees scattered across the horizon, but mostly it was dust, sometimes wind, which together makes anyone really thirsty. Of course, it must seem strange to you that such a beautiful creature would wind up in the desert at all. He was, mind you, a sea lion. But things like this do happen. How the sea lion came to the barren lands, no one could remember. It all seemed so very long ago. So long, in fact, it appeared as though he had always been there. Not that he belonged in such an arid place. How could that be? He was, after all, a sea lion. But as you know, once you have lived so long in a certain spot, no matter how odd, you come to think of it as home. There was a time many years back when the sea lion knew he was lost. In those days, he would stop every traveler he met to see if he might find help to get back to the sea. But no one seemed to know the way. On he searched, but never finding. Years without success, he took refuge beneath a solitary tree beside a very small water hole. The tree provided refuge from the burning rays of the sun, which was very fierce in that place. And the water hole, though small and muddy, was wet in its own way. Here he settled down and got on as best he could. Had you journeyed in those days through the barren lands, you might have seen the sea lion for yourself. Quite often in the evening, he would go and sit upon his favorite rock, a very large boulder, which lifted him off the burning sand and allowed him a view of the entire country. There he would remain for hours into the night, silhouetted against the sky. And on the best nights, when the wind shifted to the east, a faint smell of salt air would come to him on the breeze. He would close his eyes and imagine himself once more 
on the sea. When he lay himself down to sleep, he would dream of a vast deep ocean, twisting and turning, diving and twirling. He would swim and swim and swim. And when he woke, he thought he heard the sound of the breaking waves. The sea was calling him. The sea lion loved his rock, and he even loved waiting night after night for the sea breezes that might come. Especially he loved the dreams of those memories that would stir in him. But as you well know, even the best of dreams come and go. And in the morning, he was still in the barren lands. Sometimes he would close his eyes and try to fall back asleep. But it never seemed to work, for the sun was always so bright. Eventually, it became too much for him to bear. And he began to only visit his rock on occasion. I have too much to do, he told himself. I cannot waste my time idling about. He really didn't have that much to do, you see. The truth of it was, walking so far from home was such a disappointment. He did not want to have those wonderful dreams anymore. The day finally came when he stopped going back to his rock altogether, and he no longer lifted his nose to the wind when the sea breezes blew. If you haven't figured it out yet, this is like God's calling to us, the yearning of the Holy Spirit. The reason God has made us is this dream that this lion has. He wasn't entirely alone in these parts, for it was there he met a tortoise. The tortoise was an ancient creature, so weathered by his life in the barren lands, at first he thought he was a rock. He told the tortoise of his plight, hoping the wise one might be able to help him. Perhaps the tortoise mused, this is the sea. His eyes appears to be shut against the bright sun, but he was watching the sea lion very closely. The sea lion swept his flippers once against his side, gliding to the end of the water hole and back, I don't know, he said. It isn't very deep, isn't it? Somehow I thought the sea would be broader, deeper. At least I hope so. You must learn to be happy here, the tortoise told him one day, for it is unlikely you shall ever find this sea of yours. Perhaps you've been gone so long now the sea has forgotten you. This thought had never occurred to the sea lion before, but it was true. He had been gone for a very long time. If this is not my home, how can I ever feel at home here? He asked. You have seen the sea. Yes, come closer, whispered the tortoise, and I will tell you a secret. I'm not a tortoise. I'm a sea turtle. But I left the sea of my own accord many years ago in search of better things. If you stay with me, I'll tell you the adventures that I had. The stories of the ancient tortoise were enchanting and soon cast their spell upon the sea lion. As weeks passed into months, his memory of the sea faded. The desert, whispered the tortoise, is all that is, or was, or ever will be. When the sun grew fierce and burned his skin, the sea lion would hide in the shade of the tree, listening to the tales of the tortoise. When the dry winds cracked his flippers and filled his eyes with dust, the sea lion would retreat to the water hole, and so the sea lion remained, living his days between water hole and tree. The sea no longer filled his dreams. It was that May the winds began to blow, And he had grown used to the wind. At first, he didn't pay much attention to it at all. Years of desert life had taught him to turn his back in the direction from which the wind came and cover his eyes with his flippers so the dust wouldn't get in them. Eventually, the winds would always pass, but not this time. Day and night came bowling across the barren lands. There's nothing to stop the wind's fury, nothing to even slow it down. For 40 days and 40 nights, the wind blew, and then just as suddenly as it had begun, it stopped. And the sea lion lifted himself to look around. He could hardly believe his eyes. Every single leaf had been stripped from the tree. The branches that remained with only a twig or two upon them looked like an old scarecrow. 
I do not need to tell you there is no longer any shade in which to hide. But worse than this, much worse indeed, was what the sea lion saw next. The water hole was completely empty. Three weeks after the wind ceased to blow, the sea lion had a dream. Now, as I've told you before, there were other nights in which he had dreamed of the sea, but those were long ago and nearly forgotten. Even still, the ocean that filled his dreams this night was so beautiful and so clear, so vast and deep, it was as if he was seeing it for the very first time. The sunlight glittered on its surface, and as he dived, the waters around him shone like an emerald. If he swam quite deep, it turned to jade, cool and dark and mysterious. But he was never frightened, not at all. For I must tell you that in all his dreams of the sea, he had never before found himself in the company of other sea lions. This night there were many round about him, diving and turning, spinning and twirling. They were playing. And oh, how he hated to wake from that wonderful dream. The tears running down his face were the first wet thing he had felt in three weeks. But he did not pause even to wipe his tears away. He did not pause, in fact, for anything at all. He set his face to the east and began to walk as best as a sea lion could. Where are you going, asked the tortoise. And he responded, I'm going to find the sea. When I read that story, I thought that feels like me. A time in my life where we all have dreams of who God wants us to be and where he wants us to go and how he wants us to live, and then we get busy. We make excuses. We have problems. We make mistakes. We mess up. We make excuses. We stop looking for the water. And then something comes upon our life, and it's the Spirit of God opening our eyes to the dream that he had placed inside of being useful and being filled and being sent and being touched. And I read the words of that sea line. He's like, I am going to the sea, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. He missed that life in the water with friends, being filled being in the place that God had created him to be. And I just share the story this morning that maybe there's someone like us, we might be that sea lion. It might have been months or years ago that we had felt God's presence and sensed his direction and heard his calling and, and we're like that sea lion, we wake up and we dream of where God had us or where God was leading us or how he was moving upon us. But then we let the tortoise, the lie, the enemy come in and say, you know, maybe this is as good as it gets. You know, you probably ought to just be satisfied with where you are because it may not ever get any better than this. In fact, what is this anyways? And our world is struggling with that question even today. But in this book, The Journey of Desire, there's a description there that kind of was the trigger for me really to move towards God. And it's this idea of so many of us, I love to play in the, in the water, play in the ocean. And, uh, you know, when we lived in Florida, it really wasn't a problem to just go charging in uh, because the water was warm. And in the Northwest, you know, it's just side of the Arctic Circle, and it's cold. But regardless of the temperature of the water, you know, um, every kid's desire is to, to go charging out into the water and, and have that rich, wonderful experience. And for so long, it's so easy for me just to kind of, you know, keep that line where the, where the tide comes in 
the edge of that water and, and, and you know, kind of put your foot in a little bit without getting too cold or too wet and then pulling away and, you know, just kind of knowing all the while that your call is to be in the sea, to be in the water, to, to throw yourself in all the way. But for all the reasons that you and I have, we just kind of walk along the periphery, walk along the edge of the water, afraid of what we're called to enjoy. And I was reminded of one of the first columns, sentences that I read in this book. The author asked everyone who reads it, what do you want? What is, I mean, and he doesn't mean a whopper for lunch after the pastor's sermon, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about outback steak. He's talking about in the depths of who you are, what is your greatest desire? Why are you here? What has God placed you here for? Who are you and what is the, what is the core of who you are and what is the greatest thing that you want in life? And I read the story of that sea lion, and, and he wanted what he was made for, to live in the sea. And when he was awakened to that, it's, it's like what a fresh encounter with God does to you. It awakens you to your own reality of who you are. Woe is me, I'm an undone man. But God says, no, I'll touch you, and I'll send you, and the answers that you've looked for so long come rushing in. And you know what you want. You want to be filled, you want to be used, you want to be all that God wants you to be and so much more. And as we think of a fresh encounter with God, it's not just getting happy. It's not just feeling better about ourselves. That's not how I process this passage. Something changes when you meet with God and it changes you forever. You're never the same, and the circle of people around you are never the same, and the places God sends you are never the same because the God of all creation has touched you. Let's stand, and I am going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for this passage for Isaiah's experience and Lord, in the physical sense, we may never be transported into the temple of the throne room until, until glory comes. But there's time after time after time in Scripture and in our own lives where we feel God's touch upon us. And Lord, I've felt that in a, in a special way this week, and I thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that there's someone here today who feels like this sea lion. He knows who he is and what he was made for, and sometimes that desire, that burning, that purpose just fades away. And Lord, if there's been someone here this morning who's just had that, that twinge come upon them, that the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, remember? Remember what I said years ago? Remember what I wanted you to do or where I wanted you to go? Or maybe it's something new today. Son or daughter, I'm here and I, and I want you. And you need me and there's a purpose for you and, and I have so much more for you than you ever would have imagined. Father, I thank you for that verse that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly, way more than we could ever even dream. That's how rich you are towards us in love. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would draw us to you, bring us into those fresh encounters, and change us, Lord, for the rest of all eternity. And we'll give you the praise and the thanksgiving in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you today.